up for our team, our creative team and worship team. I, uh, I love being a part of a church that ends up in a wrecking ball moment where the Holy Spirit sets down in our midst where we're declaring, you are good, you are good, and then laughing at the creativity and the genius that God has deposited uh, in his children. You know, one of the most famous Star Wars characters, maybe the uh, most famous Star Wars character, in fact, what I would say to you is that he's probably one of the most iconic characters in all the world of sci-fi. Of course, I'm speaking of Darth Vader. And it's surprising to me uh, that little children want to dress up like Darth Vader because he is the bad guy. He's the bad guy, and yet they want to wear that uniform. It's confusing to me, actually, that they want to wear that uh, costume. But when you look at the Bible, you see this Darth Vader-like character in the devil. And the reason that every story that makes it in our hearts and minds that has a good guy and a bad guy is because it all is linking back to the story, uh, the story of Jesus and, and his enemy, uh, the devil. And what I, the last thing I want to do is for you to be tempted to downplay who or what the devil is by comparing him uh, or linking him to Darth Vader. I think there are some comparisons to make, but it stops very, very quickly. And the reason it stops very, very quickly is because Satan is a real enemy who is really out to destroy you. Uh, he's not good in any part whatsoever. And today, what I want to do is I want to spend our time uh, talking about that enemy. Because we said last week that you and I are in a cosmic battle. We really are in a battle uh, with forces that exist in the spiritual realm. It's something that Paul and the other Bible writers uh, referred to as the battles in the stars, or, or that Greek word, in the heavenlies. And, and we said that those star wars, or this spiritual warfare, it's not optional. And if you missed last week, I want you to catch up, but I just want to review for a second. We said, you don't get to choose, and I don't get to choose, whether the enemy will attack us or not. That you and I do not get to decide whether we will be in the battle or not. And so, if you're going to be in the battle, you might as well win, right? And that's the second thing that we said last week, is that we win in this spiritual warfare, this cosmic battle. And you go to the end of this book, spoiler alert, if you've not read the whole book yet, we win. And it's not uh, that we never have to fight since we win and ultimately are going to win. It's that since we win and since we have victory at the end of the age, we might as well start fighting like we're winning now, right? Amen? And, and, and so the way that we fight, and, and we covered this last week, is we fight ready, willing, and armed. And those are the points that we talked about last week, and today I want to add one uh, to that. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. We have to be aware. We have to be aware of the war plans of our enemy. In other words, we have to understand how it is that he is going to attack and arm ourselves with the Word of God. And that part, aware of the enemy's schemes, aware of the enemy's blueprints, that's what I want to focus on uh, today for the next few minutes. And before we get started, 
Uh, I, I want you to know I'm going to move very, very quickly today. It's a lot of content to cover. And, and I'm going to be throwing out Scripture after Scripture after Scripture. I'm not going to give you time today to look them all up. I want you to write them down. And I'm going to reference Scriptures that we're not even going to throw on the screen. And, and I know many of you who are ADD or anal retentive, you're going to want to write all of this down. And, and so I just want to help you today because we, we planned this in advance because we couldn't get it in for me to just to go through each of these points slowly today. Tomorrow we'll put this on the blog. Okay, and the uh, church's blog is the church.at forward slash blog. Every week we write uh, on that blog, and every week I throw content that I couldn't fit in the sermon uh, into the blog. And so I hope you'll reference that every week. But tomorrow I'll put all of what I say and more, because you can't fit it all into one sermon, on the church's blog, the church.at forward slash blog. Now, another thing I want to say, I want to address some haters uh, that I have out there for just a second. I don't often do this, but I, I, I want to do that for just a second because I, I want you to know that I know I have been accused of focusing too much on the enemy as a pastor, as a Bible teacher, or that we talk too much about this, or, or maybe that we're off a little bit scripturally. And, and I want you to know today that every single thing I will say today is backed 100% by scripture. And having said that, I want you to not take my word for it. And I want you to dive into the scriptures. I want you to dive into the word of God. I want you to go look for yourself and study yourself, become convinced of the truth of scripture. So that's first of all. Second of all, if you think we speak too much about this, I would say to you, you're apparently not paying attention. You don't visit often enough. You don't listen often enough because every single week here at TC, me or a staff member who stands to share the Word of God or every friend of TC that stands on this stage and shares, we got one thing that we're doing every single week. And the number one thing we talk about every single week is Jesus. He is our center, he is our head, he is our focus, and every single week our goal, our numero uno goal is to lift up Jesus and bring lives into the kingdom of God, and the only way you do that is to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, 115 people crossed from death to life last week on our churches, and so we're lifting Jesus up in this place. And so let me just clear the air with a few statements, a couple of statements this morning before I begin. Uh, because we have to know the enemy. We have to know the enemy. Ignorance, listen to me, is never a successful battle plan. It's just not. And, and Paul said that you and I, we don't shadow box not knowing who the opponent is, right? And, and so you never go to battle and don't know who the opponent is. You just don't. That, that's not a good strategy. Second thing I want you to hear in preface, uh, prefacing statements this morning is Jesus talked about Satan. So I think it's okay for us to talk about Satan. And we're not giving him glory uh, by quoting Jesus on Satan. We're giving Jesus glory. All the glory goes to Christ who defeated the devil 2,000 years ago on the cross. All we're doing today is saying about him what the Bible says about him. Do you understand? And, and so finally, there's one overarching statement. I say this to you all the time, that you need to understand when, when you get bogged down or confused in the whole concept and subject of spiritual warfare, or when we talk about the devil or the glory of God, it, th this statement needs to ring true in your heart, good God, bad devil. Good God, bad devil. Anytime the theology confuses you, anytime you get bogged down in it, you can come back to that foundational truth that God is good all the time and, and that the devil is bad. And so let's start moving and looking at scriptures that talk about the enemy. And I want to frame this today by answering 
three simple questions about the devil, about his origin, his nature, and, and about his schemes, okay? So here's question number one. Who is Satan? And, and I want to clear the air and take away all the misconception you might have about him, and I want to go straight to the source, to the Scripture, to the Bible, and I want to see the truth this morning. The first place that the, that the devil shows up in the Bible is in Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis chapter 3, that's the passage of Scripture where the devil tempts Adam and Eve to eat the forbidden fruit. You know that story, right? Even if you're new to church or new to the Bible, you know that story. The Bible in Genesis 3 calls him the serpent. And some have been tempted to think, well, that's not Satan. That's some sort of a serpent. What I can say to you is it's definitely not a talking snake. Because snakes can't talk, right? And all snakes, in my opinion, are bad. There are some of you who, who think that, you know, you should look at the eyes and see if they're diamond or round or whatever. I just crush the head in the name of Jesus every <laughs> single time. Because I don't like them, I don't want them, and I think I'm biblical in my approach to that, quite honestly. So it's not a talking snake. Besides that, the Bible is very clear to us in Revelation chapter 12 and verse 9 that this is actually Satan. Okay, And so from the very beginning, when the devil shows up on the scene, he is looking to steal from mankind, he is looking to kill us, and he's looking to destroy the work of God in us. That's what he's doing from the very first time we see him in the Bible in Genesis chapter 3. And it's very striking to me that you can't go three chapters in the recorded history of the people of God without encountering a real enemy that really wants to kill you. And so if this book, the Bible, is truth, then let the truth stay and let the truth state for the record, the battle is real. Now, Genesis 3, that's the first time the devil shows up in the Bible, but it's not the first time he shows up in history. Because his story is older than that. And like I said, Jesus himself talks about the devil. Now, Luke chapter 10, write that one down. Luke chapter 10 and verse 18, Jesus says this, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Now, what is he talking about? He's referring to something that the prophets wrote about, a couple of different prophets, okay? Isaiah and Isaiah chapter 14 and Ezekiel and Ezekiel chapter 28. And those two passages are actually about earthly kings, okay? So Isaiah is talking about the king of Babylon. Ezekiel is talking about the king of Tyre. But remember what we said last week about the Old Testament. This book is a spiritual book, first and foremost. It's not a history book, although it contains history. It's not a math book, although it contains math. It's not a science book, although it explains science. It is a spiritual book. It is for your spiritual well-being. It is about what God is doing in your spirit. And so it's exactly what happens in the Old Testament from time to time, that the Old Testament, you encounter the physical, but it's actually a shadow of the New, of the New Testament, or it's a shadow of the spiritual, and that's exactly what's happening in those two accounts, that God, through his prophets, is condemning a couple of earthly kings, but what God is doing is comparing them to the devil. Just like Darth Vader turned bad because of overwhelming hate, Satan turned bad because of overwhelming envy and overwhelming arrogance. And you see that in the scripture story. Go back to that passage in Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 14, throw that on the screen if you would, guys. Verses 12 and following. Listen to what the Bible says. How you have fallen from heaven, Lucifer, right? Son of the morning. Lucifer, that's where we get the name Lucifer in the Bible for Satan. Some translations say this, O shining star, 
right? How many of your translations of the Bible say, O shining star? O shining star is, is another translation there. What I want you to pay attention to is that it does not say, O snarly beast, O ugly demon. Ugly demon. We, we, don't, we get this idea that, that Satan is, is this deformed goat beast, right? And that he has horns and a tail and he carries around a pitchfork and he has sharp fangs and he shows up in your nightmares, right? But Ezekiel chapter 28, the other passage I referred to a moment ago, says that he is the model of perfection. That he is exquisite in his beauty, that, that he was actually an angel before the fall, watching over creation and walking in the Garden of Eden. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14, that Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So what I want you to hear me say today is that he's not some Wes Craven, Friday the 13th looking horror show, that in fact he is beautiful. And he looks like an angel of light, or at least he shows up that way or disguises himself that way. The point is this. If you're looking for something scary, you might completely miss the influence of Satan in your life. And you might be playing around with something that seems nice and seems clean and seems innocent, but on the inside is full of filth and evil, all because you're looking for the wrong thing that you're looking for the spooky, and he likes to show up in the non-spooky, right? He likes to show up in what appears to be friendly and cute and beautiful. And if that's the case, can I just say you might be playing with fire and allowing things into your life that will give the enemy a foothold. And if you continue down that path for any length of time, it could be something that will become a stronghold in your life. And the only way to properly combat the enemy is to know who he is. Go back to Isaiah 14. Let's keep reading the story of what happened to Satan. He said, you have been thrown down to earth you who destroyed the nations of the world. For you said to yourself, I will ascend to heaven and set my throne above God's stars. That's what happened to the devil, that he got arrogant and he got bold. I will preside on the mountain of the gods far away in the north. I will climb to the highest heavens and be like the most high. In other words, Satan was not content. He was not content with his place that he held in God's heavens. He wanted more. And he became envious and he became greedy and he attempted a coup in heaven. And he tempted a third of God's angels in heaven to follow after him. And he started a rebellion in heaven. Now, how did God meet that rebellion? Look at verse 15. Instead, you will be brought down to the place of the dead, down to its lowest depths. Now, Satan was cast down, and biblically he was cast down in two stages, okay? This is the first stage, uh, that he was cast out of heaven and down to earth, okay? That's the first stage. That's what Jesus was talking about in Luke chapter 10. In verse 18, and his rebellion ended and was thwarted quickly. In fact, Jesus said it was like lightning. It happened so quickly, it was like lightning, right? So that's stage one, cast down from heaven to earth. Stage two is yet to come. Revelation chapter 20, verse 10, talks about Satan being cast into a place called the lake of fire. 
for all of eternity to be tortured forever, every day and every night. And that is his fate, and that is his future, and it is secured, and he will be defeated. And some old preacher said years ago that when the devil reminds you of your past, you remind him of his future. That is not only his history, but it is his fate. Now, but what, what about today? Which The second question I want to answer for you today is what is Satan's like? Glad you asked. What, what is Satan like? I want to talk about that today for just a moment. In other words, who is he? Who is he really? And I want to say to you today that in the Bible, most times the character of the character is tied up in the names of the character. And this is certainly true with the devil. The most used name in Scripture for him is Satan. Satan in the Hebrew means enemy or adversary. That's what it means. Which you can understand that by his very name, he is our enemy. By his very name, he is our adversary. By his very name, he has the character of a murderer. Another name in Scripture uh, is, we call it in English, the devil. In the Greek, it's slanderer or liar. That's what it means in the Greek, which tells you much of what you need to know about the enemy. He is a liar. If you see his lips moving, they are lying. He is a liar. All the time, he is a liar. In Revelation chapter 12 and verse 10, he is called the accuser of the brethren. He lies, he condemns, and he accuses us. That is his character. He hates you so much that he will lie about you. He will accuse you of things you didn't do. He will accuse you of things and bring up things that you did do in the past. He will try every way possible to get you off track. He is a murderer. He is a liar. And look at the very words of Jesus in John chapter 8, verse 44. He says he was a murderer from the beginning. We can trust Jesus, by the way. He was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. It is his very nature. It's tied up, by the way, in what he does with his mouth. Lie. And so that's his character. He will say things about you. Primarily, he will attack you through words. And if he attacks through words, the counterattack to Satan's word is the word, the Bible, and the truth. And if Satan's attack and character is lying, the absence of truth, we need to counter that with the weapon, which is the truth. The Word of God. And we've got to get that down deep in our soul, in our spirit, in our mind, on our tongues, ready to go at a moment's notice. And so let's go thirdly to the enemy's blueprint. That's where I really want to spend the time this morning. The third question, what are Satan's plans? What is he planning to do because he's been cast out because of rebellion and envy, but what is his plan now, and what is he up to now? He no longer has a seat in the presence of God, so what does he want now, right? What I want you to hear today is that you and I are in his crosshairs. As the crowning jewel of the creation of God, the enemy of God wants to destroy us, and he has been attempting that since the very beginning. We, we looked at this passage last week in John chapter 10 and verse 10. Go back there if you would again, okay? Write it down, jot it down. Let's go back to that verse of Scripture, John 10, 10. And if you memorize Scripture, and this is one you haven't memorized yet, you should memorize this one, okay? It's a homework assignment this week. Memorize John 10, 10. 
10. And the NIV is the way I learned it, which says it this way. The thief comes only. Say only. He comes only. He's not coming for any other reason. He's not coming to convince somebody he's his father. He's not coming back to turn good. He's not coming back for any other reason. The only reason the enemy comes is to steal, kill, and to destroy. Every time he comes, that is his plan and that is his M.O. He is only, he only has one goal, to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And that's the only thing he comes to do. But Jesus said, I have come to give life. And not just life, I've come to give it in abundance or, or full. And, and so Jesus' character, when you read it through the scripture, is one of life. He is full of life. And, and he doesn't just want you to live. In other words, he, his goal for you is not just to have breath and brain function. He wants you to have a good life. He wants you to have a great life. And the way to experience that great life that you are destined for as the child of God is to resist the devil. Now, let's just illustrate this for a moment, okay? And, and let's play this out according to the character of these two characters in Scripture, okay? What, what is Satan's character? Well, we've talked about it. He's a liar, he's a thief, and he's a murderer. What, what is Jesus' character? He's a shepherd, he's a protector, and he's a lover. It is tied into their character. Who you want to hang out with? It goes to their character, right? Now, think of it this way. Let's just say we had a prize today, and I were going to give you an all-expense-paid trip to the Bahamas, all expenses. The room, uh, the beach, the food, the drinks, everything is yours. It's all expenses paid. But there's only one catch. You have to share the room with a serial killer from South Carolina. <laughs> how, how, how many of you would do that? Right? Of course not. You, you wouldn't do that. If you raise your hand, go see our counselors in the back of the room. <laughs> You would not do that. Why? Because you would be risking your life. And every time that you listen to the lies and temptations of the devil and disobey God, you have to hear me today, you are shacking up with a serial killer. Now, play the movie out. I say that to my children all the time. Play that movie out. Let's think three steps ahead occasionally rather than three steps behind. Let's play this thing out to the nth degree and use our God-given logic to play it out. If you take a look at any point between the devil and Jesus and you run that out to the end point, you, you can see how clearly this plays out. If you follow the example of Satan, what do you get? If you follow the example of Jesus, what do you get, right? Satan says, everyone for themselves. If you follow that out to the nth degree, you end up with death. You end up with destruction. You end up with people killing one another on the streets. Well, what does Jesus say? Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. What if you get if you play that out? You get people cooperating with one another. You get people helping one another. Which do you want in your life? Take another example. Take the area of sexuality. What, what, what do you get if you follow the devil? The devil's idea of sex is anyone, everyone can do it. No rules, no, no, no boundaries. Just do whatever you want to do with whoever you want to do, whenever you want to do it, right? What does that lead to? It leads to STDs. It leads to unwanted pregnancies. It leads to broken homes. Just play the movie out. Let it play out. Jesus' idea of sex is what? Only have it with the one you are married to. Do you know that if we all followed that one little principle, it would wipe out STDs, it would erase rape, it would remove abuse, all of that, by the way, in a single generation would go away if we just followed after Jesus' plan. 
Now go back over to Genesis chapter 3 for a minute, and I want to show you how the detail of the enemy's plan breaks down. Because what he wants to do is to make us do three things. He wants us to doubt God, he wants us to deny our identity, and he wants us to disobey the commandments of God. That's his plan. That's his pattern of attack against you and against me. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1. Let's begin reading that together. And let's look at this text. As it says, the serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say? Circle that phrase in your Bible. Because that's the best trick Satan has to get you and me to doubt God. He wants you to believe his lies, and he wants you to doubt God. Now, how could Eve have countered this? What could Eve have done? She could have gone back to what God said, right? You go back to the very word of God. Now, now look what uh, he, he goes on to say. You must not eat of the fruit from any of the trees in the garden. Right there, he's lying. He is the father of lies. That is not what God said. And Eve knows that is not what God said. And what the devil is doing there is not only is he lying, he's adding to the word of God, which is worse, right? Look at verse 2. He says, of course, or uh, she says, of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat it or even touch it or you will die. Do you see what is playing out here? Now Eve is adding to the very word of God. In other words, she's following along with the lies of Satan. And she is now lock and step with the devil in this conversation. God never said, you can't touch it. He only said, don't eat it. Now what Eve is doing here is adding words to God's words, which is worse than lying because it's deception and it's rewriting God's character. And not only that, Adam and Eve were created in the image of God. And so when we rewrite God's character, we're trying to rewire our design by which God designed us. And it's really all about us denying our identity, which is what the devil wants us to do. Not just doubt God, but now he wants us to deny our identity. And denying our identity in Christ is all about trying to do it on our own, in our own strength, with our own standards, right? And when we step out from under God's protection, we are in trouble. We're in trouble because we're denying the identity that we have in Christ. When we deny the identity we have in Christ, that puts us in jeopardy. Look at verse 4. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it. You will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious. And she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and she ate it. And here she is clearly breaking the one commandment that God gave them. The Bible, look at the next verse. It says, then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. Sin will follow sin. 
And it will take you further than you ever intended to go. It will cost you more than you ever intended to pay. And it will keep you longer than you ever intended to stay. Look at verse 7. At that moment, their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. Satan hooked them. He got them. And they ended in this third point that we're trying to make today to disobey God's commandments. He wanted them to believe his lies. Surely you won't die. And, and then he wanted to deny their identity. Well, what did God really say? And then he got them to disobey God, eat the fruit. And that's the whole goal right there, knowing that our disobedience will take us out from under the protection of God Almighty in our lives. And when we sin, we place ourselves in a very hazardous situation. A place where the enemy now has permission to steal from us, to kill us, and to destroy us, even as the children of God. And so how do we arm ourselves against the attacks of the enemy? How is it that we get strong? And what is it that we need to do? What is our responsibility? Because we do have a responsibility, and we do have to fight this thing out. Now, the time we have left, I want us to go over to the book of James in chapter 4. And I want to look at verses 7, 8, 9, and 10, these four verses. I, I, I've prayed this over you many, 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 many times in the past. But these four verses give us the prescription for how to fight as the children of God and what our responsibility is in this fight. Let, let, let's read this together in James chapter 4, verse 7. And I want you to look for these eight things that I listed underneath there for you as we read these verses. So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come close to God and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts. For your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. In verse 10, finally, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up in due time. The victory comes when we do these eight things. And what I want to do with you over the next few minutes is I want to teach you to do these eight things in prayer. So at every campus, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take that little handout you got when you came in. With those eight things listed in that passage of Scripture in James, I want you to lay it in your lap, and then I want you to bow your head, and I want to walk you through this exercise. I, I thought, how on earth could I teach this and, and help you get it where you get it and you get it? And, and I, I could walk through each of these points and try to teach them for you, but I think the better way to teach this is to simply pray this over you and to help you confess and, and to pray and take care of these eight things in your own life, so at every campus. And so here's what I want you to do. I want you to lay that in your lap, and I want you to bow your heads, okay? And so I want you to walk through these eight things with me this morning at every single campus. The first one is, is to submit yourself to God. Submit, that word is a word of rank, and, and, and it's a word of surrender, unconditional surrender. Submission is more than obedience. It involves humility. And so right where you're seated on all of our campuses this morning, or if you're watching online, right where you're praying, would you just say, God, I submit to you. 
I willingly and I freely submit my whole self to you. I place myself under the authority of God Almighty. You are large and in charge. You, you are bigger than me. You know the beginning from the end. And, and there is absolutely never, ever a reason for me to place myself above you. And so willfully and willingly, I place myself under you, God. I submit to you. I surrender to you. I surrender to your will and your way and your plans for your good. Your good. The second one says to resist the devil. We talked about this last week, that Jesus resisted the devil with the word. He said, it is written. Would you ask the Holy Spirit right now where you're seated just to begin to speak scripture into your heart? to speak truth into your heart, to give you the sword of the Spirit that you've been taught, that you've studied, that you've memorized? Would you commit to the Lord that if you don't have Scripture memorized, that you'll start memorizing Scripture? That you'll study and you'll find and it is written for every point of temptation that you face. And that you'll memorize it and you'll stand on it that you may resist the devil in the same plan and manner in which Jesus resisted the devil with the truth. The third step is to draw close to God. This speaks of your core. The core of who you are. Would you just declare where you're seated and say, God, the, the core of who I am that you made before the foundation of the world, that you made teachable, that you made soft, that you made pliable, that you made repentable, that you made savable, that you love and you spoke into existence. I draw close to you, God. I come to you, God. I believe that you didn't make a mistake in me, God. And every temptation I have to believe you've made a mistake in and on me, I resist it. And I come close to you, God. May I snuggle up to you, lay my head on your chest, and hear your heartbeat for me. I'm coming closer and closer and closer to my heavenly Father. The fourth step is to wash your hands. This speaks of outward actions, things that you and I have done to open ourselves up to the attack of the enemy. Would you confess those things? Just right where you're seated, would you just say the same thing about it that God says about it? Would you call it sin? We're not going to sugarcoat it. Sugarcoat it. We're not going to play around with it. We're not going to dance around it. We're going to call it sin. It's sin. And any point at which your lifestyle has opened you up to the attack of the enemy, to the attack of the devil, to the attack of the demonic, would you confess that as sin? Wash your hands. Ask the Lord to take his word and to wash it over you, the water of his word to wash you. Number five says to purify your heart. 
If washing your hands is about your outward actions, purifying your heart is about your inward motive. And it speaks to the wounds and it speaks to personalities that are created. You and I are tempted to believe that those personalities that were made through wounds are actually who we are. They're not. So would you ask God to take all of those wounds and bring healing to them? And he would take all of those parts of your soul and he would bring it into the whole and into the core. Would you confess the sin on your part and the sin on other people's part and call it sin? It's what it is. It's sin. And right where you're seated, would you just say, I cancel, I renounce, and I sever any and all working in me that is not of my heavenly Father. I cancel, I sever, and I renounce any and all working in me that is not of my heavenly Father. Number six, unify your loyalty. You read the book of James, he, he uses the word disukos, and, and we translate that double-minded. Sukos is not a mind, it's a soul. And so would you just say, God, at any place in my soul where my soul is not fully devoted to you, would you tear that wall down? That from corner to corner, from bottom to top, and every ounce of who I am in my soul would follow after you, God. And the loyalty would be singular to God Almighty. Would you recognize today, church, that the devil is a genius at getting you to compartmentalize your life and to convince you that you can pursue God with all of your heart in most areas? But that you could have this area over there, that area over there, that area in that section of your life that you could lock God out somehow and yet you're pursuing God. They can convince you that you're chasing after God. Yet you have a whole area, a whole closet, a whole basement, a whole attic in your life that you've not turned over to the working of God in your life. Your loyalty is divided. Give it all to Him. All of it. Ask him to tear that wall down and to reign supremely in the whole of who you are in every facet of your life. Church, if you don't do that, one day you'll, you'll walk down a path. And one day you'll wake up in the morning and you'll read the newspaper and that headline will be you. It, it, that you will be the one who embezzled the money. You will be the one arrested for DWI. You will be the one on suspicion of drugs. You will be the one who did something crazy to your children. You will be the one. It, you cannot afford to hold on to any facet of your life, regardless of how painful or sinful it may be. Tear that wall down and give God reign on the throne of thrones over every facet of your life. Number seven is repent. James talks about tears and, and sorrow and grief and sadness and gloom. You know, as I've studied the Scripture and experienced life, I've come to the conviction and the belief that repentance is a gift. It's a gift from the Lord. 
And that when you and I are willing to receive the gift of repentance, he takes us to places where we're no longer attracted to sin in the same way. That it does not have the lure on us that it once had. Would you just tell God today, I receive the gift of repentance. Give it to me. I want it and I'll receive it in full that I may turn my back on the things that are not of God in my life. I receive the gift. And then lastly, humble yourself. It's kind of where we began and where we end and it's part of the path for the child of God. Would you just confess that I totally belong to the Lord Jesus Christ? Totally. And that I give myself completely over to you, Jesus. It is my desire for you to have complete control of my life, God. Church, may I tell you the truth this morning and say to you, the enemy is on a hunt to steal from you, to kill you, and to devour you. You make no mistake about it. The one who plays with Satan's bait long enough will eventually bite his hook. Church, don't go back to who you used to be. You were dead. Don't, don't go back to being dead. You're now alive. You, you were rescued from the dominion of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of light. Don't go back. Don't go back. The message of the Bible is this, that Satan is a defeated foe. Don't get under his authority. Stop giving him ground that Christ already won on the cross. Stop giving him a foothold in your life when Christ put you on solid ground. Stop giving him a stronghold in your family when Christ has won your freedom. Don't go back. And by the way, this little prayer that I just walked you through, this is not a one and a done. This is a continual thing where you place yourself under the authority. It's a daily practice. And some of you need to do this for the very first time. There are some of you here today, just like 115 men and women last week, trusted Christ and gave their life to Jesus as Lord and Savior. There's some of you who need to do that right now. And if that's you today, can I just say to you, we have no greater privilege than to help you today cross that faith line and trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And so right where you're seated on every single campus, I want to lead you in a prayer helping you do just that. I'm going to pray a prayer one phrase at a time, and if it reflects the attitude of your heart and the will of your life, would you just repeat it out loud after me? Right where you're seated, you're going to hear hundreds of men and women praying this out loud around you, many of whom are giving their lives to Christ for the very first time, many of whom are praying out loud as an encouragement to you today as you take this step to trust Christ as your Lord and Savior. Right where you're seated, would you just pray and say, Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. Today I ask you to forgive me for all of my sin. Jesus, would you come into my life to be my Lord? You call the shots in my life as my Savior, my forgiver, my best friend. And the best way that I know how I turn my back on my sin, and I trust you alone, Jesus, to save me. Thank you for saving me. I receive it. In Jesus' name we pray, and together we all say amen and amen. Would you give God glory and honor today?